Well, the title of the message this morning is, What is Grace? As I launched into this study, I thought that quite possibly I could, you know, give a sermon on grace and hopefully the Lord would help me to cover it in its entirety and I found out that God still works miracles, but that's not one he's going to do today, this morning. <laughs> I'm not going to cover all the avenues of grace. And I want to open myself up to you this morning. Grace is a, a big subject. It affects every area of our lives. And a, no matter how much time, effort, and prayer we put into something, we're still human. And I may say something this morning that is doctrinally incorrect. I'm open to your counsel. Um, and questions. You know, there's something that about a preacher getting a question from someone, an honest question about the Bible that kind of gives some direction sometimes and some helps us think about a certain area. So um, I think any of us would say we're open to questions that you might have. This subject and any others, I'm not sure that we can answer them all. But if something comes to your mind this morning, I, I hopefully in the future can do a better job of covering more of the subject. But this morning we're going to talk about, look at what is grace. So I went to the Webster's Dictionary, and there's multiple definitions for grace. That's one of the problems with this word, is it's got so many different meanings. And the, basically, there's a few that really apply to how grace is used in Scripture. And... The first three given by Webster's are applicable. Number one is unmerited help given to people by God as in overcoming temptation. Number two, freedom from sin through divine grace. Number three, a virtue coming from God. And then jump down to the sixth, Webster's sixth definition is a temporary respite as from the payment of a debt. And number nine in Webster's, attractiveness or beauty. We're not really going to cover in fullness all the way, you know, all the ways grace is used. But in the scriptures, you'll see it used in any one of these forms and maybe even more. Um, but really, what is grace? What is grace in the Bible? What does it mean? We often hear grace defined as God's unmerited favor. And I believe that we all would see grace that way. But does the word grace in Scripture ever cover more than unmerited favor? And I would say it does. Now the word that we translate to grace in the Bible is the word charis. I guess I'm saying it right. C-H-A-R-I-S. It's a Greek word, charis. And the English word grace is not a very accurate um, translation of the word cherish. It's not a perfect translation. Sometimes the English language is limited. In this context it is. In fact, the way the word grace is used in the Bible has actually had a, an effect on, what the, on how, it is, um, how it's used in the English language. So as we look at the word grace in Scripture, 
we have to look at the context in which it's used. Because if we don't, we don't really get a full understanding of what that word grace is, is saying. And almost, and maybe even every time that grace is used in the scriptures, it is referring to God's favor. But maybe more than that. I'm not sure I haven't looked at every reference because there's a lot of them of where grace is used. But I, in pretty much all of them, you could say that it is that God's favor is involved in grace. And that sort of is the basis where the message starts this morning. God's grace is essentially his favor. Now, now, as we look at grace, we can very easily fall into one of two ditches. The ditch on both sides of the road, if you want to say it that way, are both very wide, very deep, and very steep. A lot of people fall into one of these two ditches that we'll look at. One ditch is the teaching of irresistible grace. The people in that ditch would say that if God chooses you as his child... His grace will save you no matter what you do and how you live. Grace is all-powerful. The people in the other ditch would say, would see God's grace as something he's very stingy with. And something that we earn by good works and perfection. They would feel it is only available to those that are worthy. That's extreme ditches of how people interpret grace. So how should we view God's grace? What does grace look like to those of us, I hope we are, between those ditches? How should it look to us? What does it mean? Let's begin at look, by looking at what God's grace is not. It helps us define what it is. We would understand that God's grace is not a license to sin. There's a scripture that's very clear in my mind. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Is grace a license to sin? Absolutely not. Experiencing. Another thing about grace is that experiencing God's grace now does not guarantee eternal security. That's, I'm sort of in that left ditch over here where grace is irresistible grace with these, with these thoughts. Just because we've experienced God's grace does not guarantee that we will always experience God's grace or that we will always be a partaker of it, I should say. Let's turn to Hebrews 10. Look at verses 26 to 31. Now here we're jumping right into the middle of one of the Hebrews... No, I'm sorry, right after one of the, one of the Hebrews lettuce patches. Um, the Hebrew writer has been saying, let us do this and this and this. He's been giving us things to do to strengthen ourselves and encourage each other. And he follows it with this warning. Now let's read, let's start with verses 26 to 29 to start with. Let's read verses 26 to 29. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain 
fearful looking for of judgment and fire ending, fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. I'm stop there for a little bit. This passage is talking about someone who has experienced grace. We see that in verse 29. This person has been a believer. He has experienced God's Spirit administering grace in his life and has been sanctified. Or, sanctification means he's been set apart to serve God, but even though he has experienced these things, he decides he's going to turn his back on them. And it says he treads them underfoot. And the word picture that gives me is of someone turning their back on God and basically saying, I don't care about you anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what you say, God. No matter all the things you've done for me, how you've applied, gave, given me this grace, this privilege to know you, I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. Now this, to me, has the same weight and seriousness spiritually as divorce does in the physical world. Bear with me. When a couple gets divorced, at least one or maybe both of them are trying to expel the other from their life. They are telling the other one that they mean nothing to them anymore. They are, in a sense, stomping underfoot all the love, the sacrifice, time, and commitment the other person has invested in them and their relationship. A divorce is saying to another person, I don't want you in my life anymore. And that is a picture I get when it talks about this person treading underfoot the grace of God, saying, God, done with you. I don't want that in my life anymore. Pretty serious. This is not a light subject. This is not a, a mistake you make. I mean, it is a huge mistake you make, but it's not something that you accidentally do. This is someone treading underfoot the grace of God. I do not believe that verse 29 is referring to a Christian who falls short of God's expectations or the struggles and failures that we all face. Those are not what's in focus here. This verse is referring to a deliberate rejection of God and what he's done for us. And the last phrase there says, And hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. This Spirit of grace, as we would understand it, would be the Holy Spirit. The one who calls us. The one who speaks to our hearts and draws us to the Father. When those things are happening, now get this, when our hearts are being drawn to the Father, that's grace at work. Jesus warned us that we can be forgiven of all sins except blaspheming the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of grace. 
How do we blaspheme or do despite, as this verse says, to the spirit of grace? How do we do what Jesus warns us not to do? It is possible to do this by divorcing ourselves from God and telling Him, as it were, to leave us alone. When we get to the point that we don't care what God has done for us or how much Jesus suffered for us or what the consequences are, we just want God to leave us alone and let us follow our own lusts and our own destru- to our own destruction. The Spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, we get to that place, the Holy Spirit will honor that. That's what Jesus is warning us about. You can sin against the Father and be forgiven. You can sin against Jesus and be forgiven. But when you tell the Holy Spirit to leave you alone, He will honor that. Don't ever do despite to the Spirit of grace. Now let's, let's read verses 31, 30 and 31. And this is why. You don't want to do despite to the Spirit of grace. For we know Him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't like to look at that side of God very much. But when you relate with your wife, for those of you that are married, those of you, if you're single, you look forward to a relationship with someone, whether it's your best friend. You don't like to remember that they, there is a side to a person that finally says, I'm done. God has that side too. We don't want to go there. His spirit of grace is a precious gift to us. As the Father looks at humanity and sees all that His Son has gone through, to provide a way for us to come back to Him. And as He watches the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, working in our lives, drawing us back to the Father, and convicting us of sin. When someone has experienced all those things in his life, they know the truth, and has walked in the light of God's love. When that person turns away, and turns back to the kingdom of Satan, to intentionally walk in sin, those last two verses I just read come into play. Don't you think that hurts the Father heart of God? And don't you think that the Father heart of God will cause him to allow some pretty hard things to come into the life of someone who has rejected him? To try to show them the error of their way and bring them back to himself. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think if we knew how much God protects us from in this world, and says, nope, Satan, you're not letting that go into the, you're not letting that happen in their life. You're not allowing that. It's too much. And when we take, we say, God, leave me alone, we open ourselves up to whatever, we, we reject God's protection. But I want to show you how grace comes into play here. If you ever feel like you have possibly done what I've been describing, and it feels like God has left you, Maybe you're struggling with the assurance of salvation and feel like you can't be good enough for God. And by the way, we pretty much all go through that. 
that is almost universal in the Christian experience. At some point, Satan is going to test your belief and your faith in, in your salvation. Some people struggle with it much more than others. Let me read a passage to you that has really helped me. This is Jesus speaking, and he says in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man cometh to the Father, cometh unto Jesus, except the Father draw him. If you desire a walk with God, you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The only way, the only avenue into your heart is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So if you're still drawn to God for any reason, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. And you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still at work in your life if you have any desire to know God, to walk with Him. Remember the first, what the first definition of grace is in the Webster's Dictionary? It is the unmerited help given to people by God. Can we say then that the desire to know God is part of grace at work in our lives? I believe it is. That desire to have a right relationship with God, to know our Creator, is grace at work. That is one portion of what grace does. Think about this. The scriptures say that the demons believe in God. They know who He is, and they tremble in fear. They do not have any desire for a relationship with Him. I know some people that have the very picture of a snake is repulsive to them. I think that's the way the demons are with God. They have no avenue for reconciliation with God. Their fate is sealed and they are doomed to an eternal hell. As humans, now you all, someone may have a problem with what I'm going to say here. And that's okay. As humans, we are under the exact same condemnation as demons are. The only difference is that God has sent His Spirit of grace to draw us back to Himself. To place in our hearts the desire for a relationship with Him. Our only avenue to God is through that Spirit of grace calling us. The desire and enabling power for us to come to Him and serve Him is grace at work in our lives. The demons don't get grace. They don't have that avenue. They have no avenue of, re of building that relationship with God. We do. As we look at grace as an enabling power, another aspect comes to light, <clears throat> and that is God's favor. Luke 1 Verse 30 says, And the angel said unto her, unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Exact same word, cheris. At least in some of the, in some of the uh, renderings, that's what's used there. Favor or grace with God. 
<clears throat> now, favor is translated in this, or grace, is, or cherish, I'm sorry, is translated as favor when God, when the angel comes to Mary. So we could say that Mary found grace with God. Webster's first definition of favor is friendly regard shown toward another, especially by a superior. So we see God looking down at Mary and loving and caring about her and appreciating who she was. That favor for Mary is this grace we're talking about. So part of God extending grace to us is his gift of love and friendship, just like he loved Mary. So we've seen that grace is the desire to know God, his enabling power to come to him, and the favor he has for all humanity. Now I'd like to look a little bit at the other ditch. The ditch that says grace is only available to those that are worthy. Now let's go back to the foundation of this relationship with God. We have God, and I want you to imagine, get a picture in your mind. If I was a good artist, I'd have a whiteboard up here, but it would be more humorous than accurate. So I'll try to let you picture it yourselves. We have God, creator of the universe, creator of everything that is, that is. perfect in holiness, sovereign over everything that is. Then there's Satan. He's an angel, evidently a created being, that fell from grace. He fell from heaven because he was jealous of God. There's Satan in his kingdom of evil and darkness. Way down here. God up here, Satan down here. And just complete polar opposites. We as humans are by nature part of Satan's kingdom. You're born that way. You're born with a, with a fallen nature. We were created by God in his, in his image with the express purpose of having a relationship with God. That's how Adam and Eve were created. But Satan introduced sin and brought something into our lives that barred us from that beautiful relationship that God wanted to have with us. We were created to have a relationship with God and then sin entered and destroyed it. At that point, God in his holiness could have thrown up his hands, wiped humanity out, and started over. And he almost did. But there's this soft spot in the heart of God that still longs for a relationship with us, people, humanity, as part of Satan's kingdom. He still wants that relationship. The very first time grace was mentioned in the Bible was at the point that God almost wiped out humanity. But one man found grace with God. Genesis 6, 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. very first time grace is mentioned in the Bible and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So if we'd take time to look at this story of Noah, we would find that Noah found this favor or grace with God. Why? Because he was doing his best to follow God. 
He was doing what he could to maintain a relationship with God. It's just a random question, but what do you think would have happened to humanity, to the human race, had Noah not maintained his relationship with God? I don't know. God's grace comes into play with Noah and us because he longs for a relationship with us. God's grace is the part of him that reaches out to us to draw us into that relationship with him. Sin breaks or stands in the way of that relationship. But grace is what continues to reach out to us, drawing us back to him, back to God. We as humans, part of this earth, part of Satan's kingdom, can never do enough to earn that desire from God's heart to be, have a relationship with us. We can't earn it. But just like Noah, we do have a part to play in receiving God's grace. God does not force His grace on anyone. But His grace, His unmerited favor, is there for anyone who will respond to it. Titus 2.11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to who? All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace. Providing a way for us to again have that relationship with God. In this passage, Paul is giving Titus directions of how to live. That's what he's talking about previous to this. And what he is saying is that God's grace is what is teaching us how to live in a way that is acceptable to him so that we can maintain our relationship with God. God loves us and wants a relationship with us so much that his grace draws us and shows us how we can please him. And now for a text. I know I'm a good ways into this. For a text, let's turn to Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. I know I've done a lot of talking and not a lot of Bible reading, but I'd like to take a deep look at this passage. Still thinking about what is grace. Trying to concrete in our minds, what is this thing called grace that we're talking about? This passage, passage shows us how grace, coupled with faith, brings us into a right relationship with God through the work of Jesus and not by our works. Let's read it, and as we read it, I will make comments as we read. I'm going to read um, verses 1 to 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay, those three verses put us right back there where we came from, Satan's kingdom. 
or by nature. We were all part of Satan's kingdom, living lives to please ourselves and, as the demons, doomed to hell. That's who we were. And by the way, I've been saying that this is our, how we actually are. Look at verse 3. And we're by nature the children of wrath. That means that we were born with an Adamic, sinful nature. We are by nature sinful because of what sin did to us. Even if you feel like you've never done anything terribly sinful, some people grow up that way. They grow up in a good home, never do anything real bad, and they feel like, well, God really hasn't forgiven them of all that much. And, you know, it hasn't made that big a difference in their life. Wait a minute. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus is the only one that was born perfect. No matter what your life has been like, it really makes no difference. You are in this group we see in these first three verses. In verses 4 to 6, we see grace explained. Let me read it. Read it. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a powerful set of verses. His mercy and love for wicked mankind, us, down here, His mercy and love for mankind, His desire for that relationship with us, caused Him to reach down. And I don't know how far that is because I really don't know how high and holy God is. I can't really imagine it. But He had to reach all the way down to where we are, to the lowest of humanity, and give us a way, through Jesus' sacrifice, we understand that, to come all the way back up to Him and sit with Him in heavenly places. That avenue, that his desire that reaches down is his grace. Saying, you have this privilege to come back to me. And it was, as it says, sit in heavenly places with him. That's having close communion with him. When you, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you're just desperate and you're like, God, I cannot do this. And you feel that peace wash over you. That's sitting in heavenly places. Treasury. And there's an acronym that, comes, that came to my mind as I was studying this. And I don't know why. But God popped it in my mind and I'm not sure why he wanted me to put it in here. But I hope it explains grace. That acronym is God Reaching All Cursed. Everyone. God reaching all cursed. Everyone. God's grace is reaching for every single human soul on earth. He wants, he longs to have that relationship with all humanity. Now let's find out who actually receives that grace. Grace is available to everyone. God loves everyone. Let's find out who actually receives that grace. Let's read verses 7 and 8. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. 
For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I think only in eternity will we fully realize the magnitude of God's grace and what Jesus did for us. Verse 8 brings this whole exchange between God and man together. We have grace, God's love reaching down, and His favor for mankind drawing, reaching for, for us way down below Him. Then we have us, by faith, realizing what God is doing and accepting that love and favor. And by that transaction, a vile human being has access to a holy and sovereign God. Don't understand it. Can't fully comprehend it, but that's grace. It's the part of God that loves us so much that he'll reach down and pull us out of the mess we're in. Now let's read verses 9 and 10. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, <clears throat> created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There's not a single thing that we could do to earn or be good enough to make God reach for us. That desire for a relationship with us comes from within himself. It is God's grace. And part of that grace is that he places that desire within us to know him and then gives us the power, once we reach in faith, to him, accept that grace, he gives us the power to do the good works that please him. Wow. So we have addressed both ditches. The ditch of irresistible grace and the ditch of earning God's grace by works. Neither one of, no, the, neither one of those is accurate. We can't be perfect enough to earn God's grace. Hopefully, we are in the center of the road. Realizing there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace and love and realizing that accepting the free gift of grace places on us a requirement to live lives by that unmerited favor, grace, and the power that comes with that, to live lives that maintain the relationship with God that was the reason he gave us the grace in the first place. Grace is first and foremost God's favor towards mankind, but is also much more than that. It is the desire that he gives us to know him. And it's the enabling power he grants us to live in a way that allows us to have a relationship with him. Because see, sin breaks that relationship. God cannot have anything to do with sin. So he gives us the power to live above sin or if we fail to then deal with that sin and rise above it and build that relationship with, continue that relationship with him. There's much more that could be said about grace and about this wonderful thing that we've been talking about this morning, this avenue we have toward, to, between God and man. But we're out of time. But I hope that we have a much greater appreciation for the opportunity that has been given to us because of God's grace. 
the opportunity to know him, that we have to walk with God. God loves each of you, and he's reaching for you. And he wants you to live in a way that you can walk in close communion with him. That's his grace at work in your life. Let's have a song.